Welcome to the Healthy Family Project by Produce for Kids, covering the hot topics in the world of health, food, and family with a dose of fun. Today we're going back to the basics of cooking and kitchen fundamentals. We all want to eat healthier, and many families are looking to incorporate more home-cooked meals into their lives. But where do you start if you aren't a master chef or get intimidated by recipes you find online? So today we are talking to Dr. Peggy Policastro, RDN, who has quite the impressive resume and is an advocate for empowering kids and families with the tools they need to live healthier lives. Our friends over at Monday Campaigns, you probably recognize Kids Cook Monday, connected us with Peggy because they are partnering with her and the New Jersey Health and Kids Initiative, which Peggy will tell us a little bit more about when we begin. Peggy is the Director of Behavioral Nutrition in the New Jersey Institute for Food, Nutrition, and Health at Rutgers University and the Director of Nutrition for Rutgers Dining Services. In addition to being a registered dietitian, she holds a master's degree in nutritional science from Rutgers and a PhD in interdisciplinary studies, nutritional science, and psychology. Her research interest is in the area of behavioral economics and the use of nudges to encourage healthy eating behaviors. She has numerous journal publications in the area of behavioral nutrition and during her tenure at Rutgers has mentored hundreds of students on research projects investigating dietary habits of college students. She currently is very active in the MCURC research group, leading multi-site projects and holding the position of co-chair of the academic committee. As a professional in both the academic and dining services arenas, Peggy is uniquely suited to be a champion and researcher for healthy eating behaviors. Now that is a resume. Let's hear from Peggy. Welcome to the Healthy Family Project, Peggy. Before we dive in, can you tell us more about yourself and all of the wonderful work you do? I'd be happy to. Right now, my position at Rutgers is on the New Jersey Healthy Kids Initiative, I'm on the leadership team for this grant that's supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And the goal of this grant is to make New Jersey kids the healthiest of any children throughout the country and to be a model for other states. Mm -hmm. So the New Jersey Healthy Kids Initiative based here at Rutgers is in collaboration between two institutes here, the New Jersey Institute of Food, Nutrition and Health and the Children's Health Institute. So what the New Jersey Healthy Kids Initiative is, It is an approach, again, to making kids healthy. However, we've looked at a three-prong approach, one being nutrition education, one being physical activity, and the third, which I'll elaborate upon today, is culinary literacy. My background is in nutritional sciences and psychology because after working as a registered dietitian for many years, I realized that nutrition education alone is not as effective as it can be at changing behaviors. I think we need to nudge people in the right direction. And this can be accomplished through developing culinary skills. Wonderful. Um, So I have to say, you know, when we talked about about what we were going to discuss on today's episode, you brought up the term culinary literacy. And I felt, you know, like, oh, I work in the food world. Like this term, why can't I, why isn't it just kind of popping out to me what this means? I had to say, what? exactly is culinary literacy. So can you tell us more about culinary literacy and why it's so important for living a healthy lifestyle? Sure. You know, academics, we like to make things more difficult than they have to be. <laughs> we put, put some terms on things that sometimes the public may not understand. 
But culinary literacy is really just understanding the basics of cooking. You know, years ago we had home ec in schools and we moved away from that and we renamed it culinary literacy. And it's really knowing the difference between what is baking and broiling, knowing how to use a knife, what to look for when you're shopping for fresh fruits and vegetables. This is culinary literacy. Okay. Yes, I, I appreciate that. And once you kind of explained it to me in that that fashion, I, I was totally on board. And I said, you do know what this is. So what are your top tips for families looking to start their culinary journey? And what basic skills should be first on the list? You know, first and foremost, I don't want anyone to feel that they need to be a chef or have expensive pots and pans or equipment to cook a delicious and healthy meal. You really want to just start with the basics. Over the years, I've worked with a lot of chefs, and one thing they told me was that if you have to spend your money on one piece of equipment, you know, we're all in limited funds, spend it on a good knife. Everything else you can get at a bargain, but that one good knife will get you further than anything else that you purchase for the equipment. Also, there's tons of recipes out there and online. What I recommend to people, start with something very simple that you feel you can master. Find a recipe that has few ingredients and doesn't, acquire, doesn't require you to have fancy equipment. You know, you shouldn't be scared of cooking. Everyone at every level can make something, even children. You know, here with the New Jersey Healthy Kids Initiative, we look at culinary literacy, even as young as the preschoolers. And looking at every recipe, there's always something that someone in the family could participate in. So what's so great is that it's a family activity. We really have heard it time and time again just how important it is to get those kids into the kitchen. And maybe it's just one day a week. You know, I know some people work late. We work different shifts. We don't want it to be overwhelming, but I, I promise just getting them in there one day a week will make a huge difference and really bring that education about everything that has to do with being in the kitchen to the forefront. You know, exactly. How great is it when, you know, working mom and dad come home, the kids are whining because they're waiting for dinner, <laughs> but if the kids are cooking dinner, they can maybe snag a taste of some lettuce as they're ripping it up or cutting something up. And it's just a way to have that bonding time. Um, you know, once, we find that when people work on a project together, there's more bonding. So let's make that project making the family dinner or lunch or whatever the meal should be, but to work it as a family. Yes. my Actually, my younger daughter, she was writing an essay last night, and the, the topic was, not to get us too off course, but the topic was um, why, or the prompt, why I should be present with my family. And the first thing that came to mind was, well, you know, of course you start to like kind of analyze, well, am I present with my family? You know, how, how am I? And I'm helping her along. And one of the things she said was, well, we're present when we're in the kitchen together. You know, we're, we're, we have to be because we're creating something. So we have to be present. We have to pay attention to what's happening at that moment in time because one, we don't want to mess up the recipe. And two, we have to work together, you know, to create something. And I thought, oh, proud mom moment right there. <laughs> I didn't even wow, know that about being really in the kitchen. Intuitive. I know. I was very impressed. But I thought, well, that is a, a great time to be present because you don't really have a, you know, 
a choice to be, I mean, of course you can get distracted, but you don't, you have to be present in that moment, you know? And so I think that's, that was a really words from an eight year old, you know, to, to really put it in perspective. That's amazing because for them to have that understanding at that young age of how important it is one to be present and then to think about the kitchen as a place to be present is very impressive. You know, I think over a year, over time, we've moved away from that nuclear family unit um, and it makes it difficult to find those times we can all meet together. Mm-hmm. But for centuries, everyone has bonded over food. So if we can get back to that again and not only bond over food, the end product, but making it, we will accomplish a lot more than trying to have planned activities for a family to be together that maybe they have to pay for or doesn't fit into their schedule. Well, I think my next question, we've kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, Why do you think it's important for families to understand culinary terms and basic kitchen skills? You know, I find it really interesting. Over years, there's more and more food shows that show people how to cook. Mm -hmm. So you would result, people know how to cook more than they ever did before because it's out there. But the analogy I use is that after you watch the Super Bowl, do you become a better football player? No. You have to get out there and do it, right? Just watching something doesn't give you the skills you need. And I think it's so important that we remember that and we cook together as a family. So much research is out there about a healthier diet for the whole family is achieved when we cook at home. By teaching kids to cook, they shop differently, they fill their plates differently, and they consider not only their own health, but their impact on the environment differently. Kids enjoy what they cook, they like to taste it, and it makes them feel really good about serving what they made for others. So it's not just about a skill. It's about developing self-esteem as well. Research also shows that kids that eat with their family tend to be less obese than their counterparts that didn't cook with their family or eat with their family. So there's so much involved in learning how to cook. Culinary literacy is not just about those skills that you will take on for years. It's also about other things dealing with self-esteem, health, and feeling good about what you can do to contribute to the family unit. I love it. That that makes a lot of sense. I think that self-esteem is, you know, for kids and for, you know, adults who are getting into the kitchen, it can be intimidating. And, you know, as you said earlier, starting with something basic and and recognizing, you know, baby steps here. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be, Emerald all in, you know, <laughs> this master chef all in one day. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Great. And, you know, Kids Cook Monday, um, which we have collaborated with, offers some really great recipes to start with. And even it's called Kids, the recipes in it are appropriate for families. And these are the types of things we're looking at that require very basic culinary knowledge and skills that the whole family can be involved in. Yes, and we love Kids Cook Monday. It, as you guys know, they introduced uh, Peggy and I, and so you know, lucky to have this episode today. But I can appreciate those recipes because I think sometimes parents think they have to create something for the kids and then an adult dish too. And I think what Kids Cook Monday does with their recipes 
and then we try to to do the same at Produce for Kids is to really meet somewhere in the middle where you're not creating two different meals and you're able to enjoy the same meals that your kids are enjoying, um, you know, and make them easy, make them healthy, but also taste good to everybody, you know, in the family. Exactly. You know, over probably the age of two, children can eat the same exact foods as the family does just in smaller portions. There really shouldn't be a kid's menu and a regular one. It should just be offering the same things in smaller portions. We have led kids to believe that if they're a kid, then they would get chicken nuggets and Mm -hmm. pasta without sauce and some other items, but there's no reason for that. The only difference again between what adults eat and what children eat really is the portion sizes. That's it. Everything else really a child over two can eat. Yes, and I, our listeners are probably tired of hearing me say this, but my my younger daughter, who is my my selective eater, I call her because she really I said picky one time, and she really latched onto that and wanted to to you know own that picky eater title. So um, she likes she most of the time likes what we're eating, but I have to de- kind of deconstruct it, which really doesn't take a lot of time. So it's the same thing. Um, just in a different, just in the way that, you know, separated out that the way that she is going to eat it. And so I feel good about that. It's a little bit of an extra step, but it is the same meal that the family is eating. Right. You know, and it's not easy. My children right now are 20, 22 and they eat very well now, but that wasn't always the case. My son, especially, I always share this story with parents who are concerned and say how he eats everything now. But I remember as a young child trying to get him to eat vegetables and it was so hard. And there was one day, you know, you buy the carrots, the baby carrots, you put them on the table and he saw them. He's like, oh, I love these. I'm thinking, wow, I've made strides. Mm -hmm. He picks up one, puts it in his mouth, spits it out and says, these are the worst cheese doodles (laughs) I ever had. (laughs) I'm like, oh, (laughs) but now again, over years, keep introducing the same healthy foods, and now they'll eat everything. But it's a struggle, definitely a struggle. It is. And I say, I put my younger daughter, she doesn't eat everything, but she could go into the produce department and name probably everything there, close to everything in the produce department. And she's comfortable in the kitchen. And so while in the back of my mind, I think, well, today she's not, you know, open to eating all of these things. At least she understands what they are, why she should be eating them, and how to create them. So there's a couple of things that are already going for her. So your story gives me hope <laughs> that in the future it'll all come together. It will. Believe me, it will. As long as you keep introducing those foods, eventually they will catch on. And both my kids like to cook now. I've always kept in the kitchen as well. That's great. We have an episode. I don't remember what episode it is, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, A team, a Produce for Kids team member we have, she said, I need to come on as a guest because I was such a picky eater. Like I gave my parents such a hard time and now I eat everything. And so we had her on and she, it's like the journey of a picky eater. And she talked about how, what her journey looked like and how she got to where she is today, which I think 
a lot of parents are so discouraged, but hearing her story, um, you know, and just continuing to talk about it and continuing to to cheer people on to just keep introducing those things, um, it'll it'll pay off in the long run. <laughs> you know, and it's all about modeling. Parents don't realize sometimes that everything that they're doing, their kids are looking at. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how kids may act out, their biggest influence are their parents. So if the parents continue to eat well and to eat fresh fruits and vegetables, the kids eventually will as well. But if the parents are expecting that they don't eat fresh fruits and vegetables and somehow the, the child's going to, it's not going to happen. The best thing a parent can do when the kid refuses to eat fruits and vegetables is just continue to eat them themselves. And one day it'll all catch on. Yes, that's, that's the goal. Um, all right. So let's talk about a few basic terms we should recognize in the kitchen. I know when we first spoke and, and earlier in this episode, you talked about knowing the difference between fried, baked, and broiled, um, these need-to-know terms when it comes to food. What are a few others? Um, one thing I'll say, too, if you don't know terms, you can always look them up online, and that's what's so great today. The internet has a lot of information. Um, but some things that I find are confusing to people sometimes are the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon. Not only the ones that you find with your other silverware in a drawer, but they're measuring teaspoon and tablespoon. They're different. You can't just pull out one of your silverware and use that in any recipe. You really need to get the measuring ones and you can get them very inexpensively. Also the difference between measuring cups. Many people don't know that there's a difference in a measuring cup between solids and liquids. So sometimes not knowing these things can affect your recipe and feel like you're an awful cook. That's not the case. You're just using the wrong equipment at that point. You know, another one, maybe know the difference between a chop and a mince. A chop is a larger cut. A mince is a smaller. The reason I say this, again, you may not get the same type of end product in your recipe if you're not aware. So one thing I recommend is if you're reading a recipe and there's something in there that you're not familiar with, hence chop or mince, look it up and see what that means. But to be aware, too, that even if you have an idea of basic things like teaspoon, tablespoon, in cooking, it may be different than what you're used to and what you're using in your silverware. Those are all really good, good um, examples of, you know, those terms, those basic terms. And I just said this yesterday when you talk about searching for something, I said, where I I lived without Google. How did I live without Google? (laughs) Like many years without Google. And now, you know, my kids or even the Alexa in our house, um, she helps us in the kitchen with with many things. But we are lucky to have those those sources. But yes, good advice. Don't just, I know so many people and maybe sometimes myself, um, you know, you get to a point in a recipe where there is something that you're like, eh, well, I think it means this. So I'll just go with this instead of taking a second. And, and I have, have witnessed that those recipes don't turn out the way they're supposed to or taste, uh, you know, there's something's off. And then it's that one little step, you know, that, that I just took a guess on. So searching and understanding those terms are, are definitely a good, a good thing to know. Especially when it comes to spices and seasonings, because there is a difference there. You put too much salt in something, it may, it's not going to taste good. 
or if you're putting too little, you're gonna lose that flavor. So especially with those spices and seasonings, you wanna make sure that you have those right measuring utensils. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat today. We certainly can't close out without giving a shout out to our friends from Kids Cook Monday who made today's podcast happen. So be sure to check out uh, kidscookmonday.com and follow their hashtags, Meatless Monday and Kids Cook Monday. We have lots of great things going on on those hashtags. And then Peggy, if listeners would like to know more about you and what you're doing, where can they connect? The best place for them to go to would be to our website, which is njhki.ruckers.edu. From there, you'll find all our social media platforms and lots of information on how you can make your kids healthy. Wonderful. And we'll link up to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks, Amanda. It was great. Thank you so much to Kids Cook Monday for um, putting us together. A big thank you to everyone listening to today's episode and a special thank you to Peggy and Kids Cook Monday for making today's episode happen. We are so lucky to be able to align Produce for Kids with organizations like Kids Cook Monday who share in our mission to create a healthier generation. Be sure to check them out at thekidscookmonday.org. We are continuing to grow. Yay! Every week it's just amazing to see new people listening, the numbers going up, and people from all over the world are tuning in to find out how to live a healthier life. And believe it or not, we are approaching our one-year anniversary of the show. It's truly humbling to look back at the journey and think about all of the amazing people who have been part of the Healthy Family Project. Um, Some I knew before having them on the show, some I didn't know until they were guests on the show, um, but all of them, you know, are are connected with us and with me and have become a special part of, of my world. So hopefully in our next season, we'll be able to have some of those folks back on. Um, and then we have a special anniversary episode coming up next and then a stellar episode. I really cannot wait for you guys to listen to our Food as Medicine with Jessica DeLuise of Eat Your Way to Wellness. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss out on those two upcoming episodes. If you like the Healthy Family Project, tell a friend and leave us a rating. It will only help our visibility so we can continue to create a healthier generation. And if you want to tweet with me direct, I'm at Amanda M. Kiefer on Twitter. I love to hear what you are thinking of the episodes. If you have questions or topic ideas for the show, you can tweet me over there or even leave a message on the Healthy Family Project podcast.com. And as always, you can find Produce for Kids on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. Talk soon.